This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 55, Comic Reviews for the week of February the 20th. And welcome back to the show. This is Comic Shenanigans, episode number 55, and I'm your host, Adam Chapman, as we're going to take a look at Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, February the 20th. Uh, a lot of comics came out last week, and um, actually, I think this time... This uh, this time around, I think I actually did read a large majority of the actual issue uh, issues that we'll be talking about. Because there have been uh, recent weeks, uh, people who've been listening to the last few episodes will notice that there's been a few weeks in a row where, you know, I read a lot of the issues, but it seemed like there was a, a mounting list of all the ones I wasn't reading. Uh, but this time around, definitely sound, looks like we uh, were able to have a lot more ready for review. So this is good. So we'll have a lot more to talk about. Um, First up, now I gotta say, the first like five or six books, I was I always go alphabetically. I put all the books in a pile and I go alphabetically, and that's how I end up reviewing them. Um, so the first like six or seven issues I reviewed, uh, except for one of them, they're all pretty much seven, seven and a half, six and a half out of ten. So it was kind of a weird middling place to start. And to be honest, I think a lot of books this week were in that kind of range. Um, so the first book that we're going to take a look at is Action Comics number seventeen. So this is, I guess we're getting close to Grant Morrison's uh, big run uh, ending. I think this is the second last issue. Uh, so this is Morrison writing it with artwork by, I believe, Walker and Morales. Um, sorry, not Walker and Morales. Morales and uh, Fish doing the, uh, the backup. Uh, wasn't a huge fan of this. It was okay. It, it, I don't know what to make of this story. And I think that's part of the problem is that part of it's really interesting because you got this... Superman and the Fiend from Dimension 5, and Superman con- con- constantly having to fight against uh, this creature. Sorry, the artwork is by Brad Walker and Rags Morales, now that I'm actually looking at it. I apologize in the background, you might hear my cat roaming around, who's decided that it's Miss Me All Day, and decides that she wants to make sure that I know that she missed me, and this means making a racket and hitting the table that I'm doing this uh, podcast on. So I apologize if that is in any way impacting the episode, and hopefully she'll eventually get the get it in her head that I don't actually want to play right now and she has to go away um, so back to back to the issue sorry for the digression uh, so this issue it's just kind of confusing where, where it's taking place in the continuity it's just kind of all over the place uh, you have the three legionnaires going through time as well um, I don't know like and you have parts of you know the future and like past it's just confusing and not nearly clear I think this could be really interesting, but it's just not in any way a clear story. Uh, the backup, though, was was pretty interesting as well, but again, also very confusing as to how it even takes place. And I don't know when you start dealing with you know dimensional imps and stuff and messing with the timeline, I get a little bit less interested because it's not a, a straightforward. I don't expect Grant Morrison to write a straightforward story, but I don't know. I think he tries so hard to make it messed up and weird and crazy that it ends up becoming harder to read and understand as a result, and it becomes less enjoyable. And I guess that's where I'm coming from, is that I didn't find this as enjoying as it could be. On a technical level, it's fine. It's not bad. It's uh, I was actually going to give it a 7 out of 10, mostly for the backup, which I thought worked better. But it's just, uh, I'm not going to be sad to see him go. Uh, I think he was a little too crazy for what I really wanted from Action Comics. Especially considering the Action Comics is supposed to kind of help launch the New 52. It was Action Comics and Justice League were like the first two big releases to come out. And I don't think anybody has really thought that Action Comics did a good enough job 
be kind of delivering on that promise, which is unfortunate. Uh, I'd say that Batman's been a much better book and much more enjoyable, and it, it much more was able to show that yes, this new Fifty Two can be amazing. Um, next up is Alpha Big Alpha Big Time Number One. You know, I don't really know what, what I think about this book. I actually, I actually kind of dug it. It could only really exist in the current uh, during Superior uh, Spider Man because you have Alpha. You know, Peter Parker kind of set him on his way. And now, well, maybe we're not done with Alpha because maybe uh, Doc Ock thinks that maybe he can he can master the Parker particles, which actually makes a lot of sense that he would have that kind of ego to be like, you know what, I can do better. So it's kind of an interesting premise. It's not the greatest issue. I still think that Alpha himself is not that likable character. He's a little bit more likable here, but they haven't done a lot to really kind of show you that this is a character we need to care about. Um... The artwork is not really my first choice. Uh, it's written by Joshua Hill Fialkov, and it's got art by Nuno Plati. Um, I, I just didn't care much for the art. It was, it was all right. It wasn't the crazy, exaggerated Humberto Ramos art. So in that way, I actually kind of appreciate that it was a much more down-to-earth uh, kind of style of art. But at the same time, it didn't really feel all that dynamic or exciting. And the colors were kind of... They weren't the most vibrant. They were kind of boring colors. Uh, it wasn't a bad read, though. Uh, I actually think there's a lot of potential here. And I'm interested to see where they go with it. Uh, so I gave it a 7.5 out of 10. It was actually, of the books I read, there was something that I was kind of like, eh. Uh, I definitely feel a stronger feeling towards Alpha Big Time. I'm not, as I said, not a huge fan of the artwork. Although, there are, maybe it's just the colors that I have a main, main problem with. Maybe the the overall artwork would pop a little bit more with a, with a better color is to working on it. Uh, but this, the script has promised, so I'm interested to see where it goes from here. Uh, next up is Avengers number six. Oh, such a great book. Jonathan Hickman was was born to write the Avengers. I mean, he was great on Fantastic Four, don't get me wrong. But this just feels different and bigger. Uh, his FF was great and pretty huge on its own. This somehow even feels even bigger than that and more important. Um, it's a, just a, a fantastic read. Uh, this is Jonathan Hickman writing it, obviously, with Adam Cupert on artwork. Um, I love Adam, Adam Kubert. He's really putting together some wonderful stuff here. I mean, Jerome Pena did a great first arc, but everything since then has been really strong as well. Um, this issue was great. It was, it was, it was a, a delving into the consciousness of the current Captain Universe and her host, finding what, what event happened that kind of caused her to end up becoming Captain Universe. We're also getting a little bit of Spider-Man interaction with uh, the new kids, Cannonball and uh, Sunspot. And we're seeing that this is the kind of the uh, the new superior Spider-Man being a bit of a, a dick, um, and the way he's kind of treating them as children, even though he's really not that much older than them. Uh, actually, really cool stuff. Uh, having Shang Chi be the one who really it could have been Iron Fist, but Shang Chi helping to try and center uh, Captain Universe. This is just such a really good story, uh, really good art. I'm really excited to see where this goes in the next issue. Um, this has not been a disappointment in any way. This has been one of the strongest launches out of Marvel now. This is what this is what people wanted from Uncanny Avengers. Uncanny Avengers came out, you know, it's supposed to be this big and loud, new, awesome new book by uh, by Remender and Cassidy, and it has fizzled. It's has barely come out. The story hasn't been all that strong. But then this book is just. Uh, MVP, like it's so good. I gave this a nine out of ten, and it deserved every point. Uh, next up is Batwoman number seventeen. Uh, I gave this a seven out of ten. I'll get that out of the way in advance. I just, I still don't really know what's happening half the time in this book, but it looks so damn good that I almost don't care. 
Uh, J.H. Williams III is a brilliant illustrator. Uh, the way he makes this look, he's the co-writer and the artist, and he does the covers. Uh, w. Hayden Blackman was the co-writer. Um, I liked having the team up between Batwoman and Wonder Woman. It kind of ends here. It's kind of got a messed up story. It's actually not that not that long an issue, but the artwork is so spectacular, and the characterization on uh, on uh, Batwoman is so fantastic. And then seeing the, the the cliffhanger as well, I just this is such such a great book. I'm excited to see what comes next for this character. Um, I'm I'm like the issue isn't necessarily the strongest because I don't know was know what was happening, but the artwork is so good. Like I think the story for me is almost like a almost like a five because it's kind of there and not a lot really happens. It's, it's got some interesting parts, but it's not the greatest read. But then you have the artwork is like a nine, so it's averaging out to about a seven out of ten. Uh, so if when I say it's a seven, like there's different types of sevens or sevens where it's like seven across the board. This is most definitely a book where the artwork is what sells it. And if the story is just kind of along for the ride and it kind of feels that way, the way it ends up reading, I kind of feel the same way sometimes with the flash, um, because, uh, Francis Manipal has some brilliant artwork, but the stories aren't always the strongest. So it feels like in a lot of those cases, it's like, and maybe an eight for art and a six for story it ends up with a seven if it's not the greatest issue. I mean, I always look at that when I do a lot of these breakdowns and these reviews is that, you know, where is it on an artistic standpoint and where is it on a story standpoint? I should have reiterated that actually with the action comics because the artwork really held, held that book together. The story wasn't the strongest because it was confusing and weird and at times didn't, didn't always feel like it was being weird for a purpose, but just weird to be weird. Uh, next up is Birds of Prey number 17. You know, there's a lot of these DC books that, like, I actually... They're kind of weird, dark horse kind of books, but they're actually pretty enjoyable and engaging, even though they may not be ones you might expect to be that, that great. Like, they're not necessarily the marquee books, but they're actually pretty good. Uh, this Birds of Prey, it's not the Birds of Prey that used to exist before, obviously. It's quite different from the pre-New 52 um, but it's actually, it's still pretty enjoyable. Uh, I like the team, um, Black Canary, interesting way of writing the character. I love how Batgirl interacts with the team. Cause, and that gives you like a lot of these books, they just kind of got relaunched and that was it for when uh, the new 52 happened. But Birds of Prey, like this feels fundamentally different because it's not Barbara Gordon behind the scenes as a spy master kind of, um, helping to coordinate the team and be the, their kind of behind the scenes leader of the overall outfit. But this is now her actually as Batgirl, which com- feels completely different. Um, this issue is written by Dwayne Swierzynski, who I'm not a huge fan of normally, uh, with pencils by Romano Molinar. And it's actually quite an enjoyable book. Uh, the, the inks and colors are nice. I like the way the team operates. I like the idea that, um, Black Canary is kind of dealing with the fact that her canary cry is malfunctioning. She's no, she's scared of her own power. Um, it's actually really cool stuff. I like how Batgirl's written here. Uh, and I like the idea that there's a bit of a... Um, now I forget her name. Uh, that, that damn character who, who's the... I, now I really can't remember her name. She's the other girl. The girl from issue zero that... Um, man, why can't I think of her name right now? That Black Canary met years ago. Anyways, I like their kind of relationship with the team and how she's kind of defending the protecting the fact that she kind of knows that Black Canary is kind of screwed up and that there's obviously a problem with her powers. I like the idea that this new, this former talent is now part of the team. I like how Black Canary, uh, Black Canary and Black, uh, sorry, Black Canary and Batgirl actually operate on the team together. I actually enjoyed it. I give it a 7 out of 10. There are some panels which aren't the strongest. Their artwork's 
Uh, not the strongest artwork at times. Uh, sometimes the story could be a little stronger. But overall, still an enjoyable read. I mean, seven's not a bad rating by any means. Uh, next up is Captain America number four. Now, for this book, I apologize, I took a sip of a drink and I should have paused. Uh, this book, uh, and you're like, why, why didn't you edit that out, Adam? Eh, sometimes I like to have a, a common flow. I like to like, just let it go. <laughs> so I apologize. This is a story, uh, I, I don't know, I'm really torn because I haven't been a big fan of this arc on the whole. This is probably one of the stronger issues, however, out of the arc thus far. Um, I gave it about a 6.5 out of 10. And then I looked at it here and I was like, well, shouldn't I be giving it a lower rating? But then, like, you know, it wasn't bad by any means, uh, especially compared to some of the previous issues. But uh, I don't know. I'll get into it in a moment. It's written by Rick Remender, and you got artwork by John Remender Jr. So this arc is basically it's in Dimension Z, and over an indiscriminate amount of time, Captain America's been stuck there. He's raising this child as his own, um, who's basically Zola's genetic child, I guess. Um... And so he's there with Ian, and he's kind of raising him on his own as his own son. I like those aspects of it a lot. The artwork's not necessarily the strongest, though. It's Well, here's the thing. There are certain panels where, man, it feels like uh, Ramita's really rushing. Or that he doesn't have a really good sense of how old the kid is. Like, how old is Ian? Because sometimes he really fluctuates. And especially there's shots of young Steve Rogers. And he looks, like, way too young. It's ridiculous. Uh, but there's other portions like where it's it looks so good, and you got this the old frayed kind of armor that Captain America is wearing, and it's like stitched up in the center, uh, which is really kind of interesting. And you're having this 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 he's and I like the idea that he's raising this child, but then you got these flashbacks, and you're kind of getting sense of uh, Steve Rogers as a child and almost being swayed to kind of the dark side because of necessity, and his mom not letting him do it, which is fascinating. And I like that part, and I like the writing. And it just, I don't necessarily care that he's stuck in this other world and doing this very Jack Kirby-ish adventure. And then, again, the artwork at times looks rushed, or the um, the way that he illustrates the young Steve Rogers almost looks too young or too small. But then you have some other parts where, like, the, the detail in Captain America's face is fantastic, and it's a little bit all over the place. Um, I need to see where the art goes. I mean, I, I'm, I'm on it, I'm reading it, whatever. Um, it's just, it's a book that kind of goes up and down, up and down. I was going to give it a six and a half out of ten. I'm reconsidering it to a seven. But it's a game, it's, it's definitely a book that can't decide if it's really well written or kind of all over the place. And it can't decide if it's got a really good uh, artwork or if it's a little bit more messy and rushed. So it's all over the place, but it's still, it's worth a seven. You know, it's, it is the, one of the best issues in, in the arc thus far, though. I will say that. Um, next up is Captain Marvel number 10. I haven't read all the issues in this series. I've read the last couple. I read the last issue. I actually particularly enjoyed it. This issue wasn't bad either. It's Captain Marvel kind of confronting her own frailties. And But that being said, there's some interesting parts here. Uh, but then there's also a lot of stuff that didn't quite work. Like, you're having... Um, I, I like, do like the idea that she's got an employer who's like who's being very stringent upon her and did not go crazy with her whiz-bang powers. But then you also have some weird interactions with Captain America. Like, I like the parts which Carol on her own, kind of pushing herself and, and proving something to herself as well. And then you have parts where, like, Captain America just kind of shows up on, a, on like, a flying cycle, and it just doesn't work as well. And, and Captain America just comes off as a bit like a, a dick. Whereas early on in the series, he was a lot more interesting, but then here it just comes off a little bit like an ass. Um... The artwork I am not a fan of in any way. I think it's just 
it's very loose, very kind of goosey, and I it, it's just personally I didn't really enjoy how it was handled. Uh, the artwork on the cover though I really enjoyed. Um, so I, I at the end of the day like it's not a bad read. It's it's definitely got. It's going to have an audience. Uh, this is issued particularly is written by Kelly Sue DeConnick and Christopher Sabella. Uh, artwork by Felipe Andrade. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Andrade. And uh, the colors are vibrant, though. They kind of keep the... This is one of the cases where, unlike some books, like Alpha Big Time, where the colors kind of dragged it down, here the colors actually added a lot and actually made it a more enjoyable read visually. Um, I gave it a 6.5 out of 10. It needs to pick it up a little. I think my problem is more with the art than the story. I think the story is definitely getting to a better place. Uh, Captain America characterization aside, but the the artwork could get a little bit tighter and stronger. Um, yeah. Next up is uh, Daredevil number 23. This is a really strong read. Uh, the cover, I'll forgive it, <laughs> with the, the flaming double D that just reminds me of the movie. Uh, although I actually like the movie, so it wasn't so bad. Uh, so this issue had artwork by Chris Samney, who is a perfect choice for the series. I'm really loving his take on the characters. Like it fits so well with what Rivera and Martin started off with, and uh, he's got a great sensibility. It really fits the book, and Mark Wade is writing it. Uh, really, really fantastic read. Like it's got an old school, old school sensibility, but it's just it's such a great, great, enjoyable read. You got the opening issues, which all about you know what what happened to Matt when he saved that that old man. And uh, it ended up becoming scarred and, and not scarred, but changed forever and became basically the man he is today because of his powers. And then uh, the idea that there's someone trying to recreate that, which is creepy but fascinating. Uh, and then you also have Daredevil trying to basically help out Foggy Nelson, who thinks that he may have cancer. Uh, they don't know yet. They're waiting to hear out. So he's trying to let Foggy kind of embrace no fear. And uh, the idea... They have this great exchange where, like, who could who could be behind everything? And Foggy's like, it could be, it's Stiltman. And then they have this blah-ha-ha moment, and it's just, it's really, really good. And then you have Matt Murdock fighting off all these people that are basically like him, and it's fa- it's just a really fascinating thing. And then you have Matt and Foggy going to the doctor to find out. And it's played so well, because you got this idea that there's this heartbeat, and it's so, so loud, it's so rapid. And uh, uh, Matt realizes that it's not Foggy's heartbeat at all. It's the doctor's, and he realizes something's wrong. And just the fact that uh, Foggy looks over and Matt has his hand on his shoulder, and he knows that Matt can tell what's going on. He can tell the heartbeat. And just this welling up in Foggy's eyes and, and Matt just holding his, his his shoulder there and this sad, like, I'm sorry moment. It's just, and, like, we don't need anything else. This is one of those moments where you didn't have to say you have cancer. He just says, I'm sorry. And it was just... Uh, a perfect marriage of artwork and story. Uh, Chris Samney is the right artist for this book, and he proves it with this issue. And Mark Wade is just a gorgeous script. Uh, I feel like he's had such a renaissance in the last few years, and his work in Daredevil has been spectacular. I gave this a 9 out of 10, and again, another issue that earned every point of that. Like, it was so exquisite. Uh, next up, after Daredevil number 23, is Green Lantern number 17. I'm going to actually address all the Green Lantern books at once, because they all kind of felt the same. Uh, I think I gave them all about the same rating. I gave Green Lantern 17 a 7, Green Lantern Core 17 a 7.5, and, and Green Lantern New Guardians a 17. They're all kind of the same story, so let's just... Well, actually, I'll, I'll say that uh, Green Lantern Core and New Guardian were more of the same story than Green Lantern itself. Green Lantern 17, I'll quickly breeze through it. It's written by Jeff Johns, who will soon be ending his tenure with Doug Monkey uh, on art, with, I guess, Dan Jurgens doing the layouts. 
Um, so it starts off with basically like the the classic Corona moment where he starts witnesses his creation, but then we have this guy showing up and it's Volthoom, uh, and it's the prologue, and then we have the rest of it where you have uh, Simon Baz fighting against Black Hand, and then you also have a little bit of uh, a revelation of what is happening with the uh, with the Volthoom, the First Lantern, and how he's trying to kind of figure out what's been going on and why he doesn't have all of his powers intact, but he's trying to change the past, and uh, which leads to one of my favorite moments of the book, where you suddenly have the idea that if everything had changed and uh, and certain elements of the past were modified, that Black Hand would not be Black Hand, but he would be William Hand, and instead of having Simon Baz there, there'd be uh, uh, Sir. I love moments like that in books. Uh, in the Justice League Unlimited cartoon, there was a spot where Hal Jordan showed up, but there was a chronal interference, and Jon Stewart momentarily blinked out, and then Hal Jordan was in his place. And I love stuff like that. So that was kind of cool. Um, so you have a little bit of the Alpha, sorry, the, the first Lantern kind of figuring out what's going on, and then you have uh, Simon Bass fighting against Black Hand in the in the Book of the Black, and then he ends up uh, with wherever Sinestro and Hal Jordan are. So there's not a lot of resolution in that story. And then you have Green Lantern Corps, which is all about Guy Gardner, uh, and uh, the First Lander kind of confronting him and showing him all the different things that could have happened and trying to kind of uh, take him down a little bit. I like seeing what could have been and seeing the kind of past, but this, there's not much of a story here. And the problem is that New Guardians was kind of the same story. Uh, this issue is by Peter J. Tomasi, who wrote it, and then Fernando Pissarin, who did Pencils. And then you have Green Lantern New Guardians, which was written by, I believe, Tony Bedard, and it had artwork by Aaron Cooter. They both basically tell the same kind of story with the First Lantern challenging them and showing them what could have been if they would only let go and trying to kind of absorb power from the emotional responses of these characters and how Kyle's a little bit different because of his connections with the White Lantern, etc., that he's kind of pushing against what he could have wanted and remembering who he is no matter what. Um, it's kind of intriguing and interesting, but it doesn't really feel like there's a point to these stories uh, he's just kind of feeding off these characters to try and make his own reality. Like we have two issues that are so similar because it's basically him doing the same thing just with a different character, and they don't feel different enough, even though they're written by completely different people. Uh, they feel very similar, and as, I think part of the problem is that all three books came out in the same week, which is horrible planning. If I am the Green Lantern editor, I don't want every book on my franchise to come out the same week. That just feels like a mistake. Uh, and it continues to happen, and it, it, I think it hurt these books, because instead of strengthening it and making it feel stronger, uh, it made it feel more like these stories are very similar to each other, and they would have benefited from being told on separate weeks. Uh, next up is uh, Indestructible Hulk number four. It's still a good book. This is not the strongest issue, per se. Um, I do like the concept. Like This is... First of all, it's Mark Wade and Lionel Francis Hughes, so that's a great team. Um, but you start off strong with Banner kind of waking up and he's meeting his team, and I was really excited for that stuff. But then you have him get drawn away, and he's doing something else instead. Now, I like the idea that Banner's living in like kind of an old, irradiated uh, town, because it makes sense that he wouldn't be affected by it. Uh, but then from there... They just kind of move right into Lemurians, so you have the Hulk being dispatched to fight the Lemurians under the, under the surface, which is cool and fun and interesting, but it's not 
nearly as strong as what the issue could have been, because I was more excited about the banner stuff here. Having Hulk in weird armor and, and fighting the Lemurians and, and fighting Atuma, that's kind of cool, too. Um, but, I mean, it, it's not as strong as the previous issues had been. I'm interested to see where it goes from here, though, because it seems really, really kind of exciting as he kind of starts sinking lower and lower into the water and what will happen to the Hulk. Uh, so it's got a lot of potential. I'm more interested in the next issue because I think it'll be stronger. The artwork's extremely good, though. It's it's still a 7 out of 10 book. It's a great... It's still a fun, enjoyable read. It's not a great read. Um, but it's still a good book, so there's not a lot you can complain about. At least it's a readable, enjoyable Hulk book. So, really, isn't that all you really want, Tom? Uh, Tom is one of our fans, and he was previously on episode number, I believe, 54, which is the top five uh, favorite hero clip... Sorry. Top five favorite Hulk storylines. So that's why I give a brief shout out to uh, to Tom. Uh, the next up is Justice League number seventeen. This is the last part of the Throne of Atlantis storyline. You know, it's over. It was a good story. It does kind of feel like the main reason it was set up though was to give a, a launching pad for Justice League of America and to further kind of fracture the Justice League by sending. Uh, um, Aquaman back under the sea to be, you know, the king of Atlantis again. That being said, it was a, it was an enjoyable read, a lot of great action. Ivan Reyes is the right person to be illustrating this book. He's going to be great in Justice League. I just know it. He, I'm surprised it's the first time he's really been the Justice League illustrator. It just makes sense because he's got that level of talent. Um, there's some, just some great movie moments. Like if this was a movie, it'd be pretty pretty stunning. Um, this is just great and. Yeah, I just really dug this. And it was kind of a sad ending for Ocean Master because um, he's kind of stuck in a, in a human jail. And now he might be joining a different team. Uh, so that's interesting where that's going to go. Um, so this was a, a really good read. A really solid, enjoyable storyline all the way through. I gave it an 8 out of 10. Fantastic artwork by Arvin Reyes. It does feel like it was maybe a disingenuous storyline because it was really just to set up the new storyline in Aquaman and Justice League of America. But it was a good story on its own. So I'll give them that. Uh, then we have Justice League of America 1 and Justice League's Justice League of America's vibe. Um, so Justice League of America, it, it was very much just a setup issue, and it was extremely slow. Um, that being said, like it, it, it has the potential to be a great book. You got Jeff Johns writing with David Finch and artwork. Uh, it's just taking its, it's really taking its time to get there. Um, the artwork is great, though. I mean, there's some really good portions here. I like that we're finally getting some resolution to the fact that something happened in Justice League of America, annual number one, with uh, Booster Gold disappearing and the, having Superman and uh, Wonder Woman were on the, uh, the computer monitor, so that's really exciting. And I like that we're kind of seeing the team kind of gathering and seeing how the team's going to operate and who's going to be on the team. But I think the issue just took a little too long to happen, uh, but there's some really interesting potential here. Not a big fan of Catwoman being on the team, but whatever. She's an interesting counterpoint for Batman. Um, so yeah, so I'm interested to see where the book goes from here, and I like that Jeff John Jeff Johns is using Martian Manhunter. Uh, the artwork again, extremely good. Green Arrow, uh, yeah, he's not going to die, so whatever. Uh, that's kind of a, a, a stupid cliffhanger because he has his own book. It's not being canceled yet. He's not dying, so don't leave on a cliffhanger of, of Green Arrow, quote unquote, dying. It's kind of dis- it's extremely disingenuous because no one's falling for it. So it, it just feels like if you're going to do a cliffhanger, have it mean something. Have it be something that we're actually like, oh my god, what's going to happen? Don't have it be something where we're like, yeah, he's fine. Uh, but it was it was an enjoyable start. The artwork was extreme. Again, very detailed. 
extremely good artwork for David Finch. I like the colors too. Um, the story could be a little stronger because it really is just a prolonged and uh, a prolonged, um, strung out, uh, draw, sorry, drawn out uh, setup issue. And it's not even done the setup, but you know, seven and a half out of ten is a fair thing to give it. Uh, next up is Justice League of America's Vibe Number One, which is a really well entitled, and I guess the only way they can sell a book with vibe in it is to have Justice League of America in the tagline. Uh, it's written by Jeff Johns and Andrew Kreisberg, with artwork by Pete Woods. You know what? I actually really dug this. I gave it a seven out of ten because it wasn't the strongest read, um, but it's an interesting kind of origin story for the character and making him at least a little bit more important to the DC universe in terms of what he ca- could do. Um, and just seeing him kind of take the mantle of this of vibe and, and be this hero was kind of interesting as well. So I actually did enjoy it uh, much more than I ever expected to. Um, again, it's a little bit of setup to what the character could be, so I don't really know what the book's going to be like yet, but I gave it a 7 out of 10. Uh, next up is Morbius the Living Vampire, number 2. I did not care for this at all. Uh, I gave it a 6, and it's a charitable 6, because it's not awful artwork, and it's not awful uh, storytelling, but it's not really all that interesting either. It's a 6 out of 10 all the way through. Uh, I just don't, I don't know what the point is. Like, what is the point of this book? Uh, I'm not a big fan of Keating and Elson on artwork. Elson's probably the highlight. His artwork's much better than the, the writing by Keating. I just don't get, like, this is Michael Morbius. He's a, this really cool supernatural character. So we're going to have him in a hoodie hanging out in some ridiculous small area uh, fighting some weird guy with, like, a, I don't know, some weird hair and tats and stuff. Like, and I just don't, I don't understand the point of the book and kind of being, this. I guess, this kind of urban pretend, uh, protector, but... I don't. I, this is, I, I thought from the based on what I'm going to call Morbius Zero, but basically it was just the um, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 699.1. I just thought it'd be more about him being a scientist and trying to uh, cure himself and and I, I, something more along those lines. And this just I don't get the point. Uh, I just didn't enjoy this. And the less said about it, I think the better because I think it just frustrates me that this book could be something and said it's nothing. Um, Next up is Nightwing number 17. This is actually a pretty solid read. I'm enjoying Nightwing in general. Um, I f- I'm glad they're finally coming out in the, the soft cover of the trades because I want to put those on my bookshelf. Uh, Kyle Higgins wrote it with good, uh, good artwork by Juan Jose Rip. Um, this is really kind of a nice little follow-up to what happened in uh, Death of the Family. So you have the idea that he's just, he's just kind of reacting and... Um, uh, he's he's just like having to deal with everything that happened to him and try to come to grips with what happened and you know he's he's lost so much and uh, it doesn't help that like there's no way of getting past that like the Joker kind of won um, and like everyone's kind of leaving the circus and uh, it's kind of impacting his all his relationships and even his relationship with Barbara seems a little strained as well. Um, and then when you finally have him finally have a chance to kind of cut loose, he really does that. Uh, and you definitely got the sense that like he needs to relax a little. He needs to calm down. And uh, then you have some great kind of uh, team up with uh, Damian Wayne. I really like their interactions together, especially because they had such a different kind of relationship when he was Batman. And now that he's Nightwing, it is quite different. Um, but yeah, I really, really dug this this book. It was extremely enjoyable. A great read, and uh, yeah, I'm interested to see where it goes from here. So I gave this uh, eight out of ten. 
Uh, next up was Nova number one. Now, I like this in spite of myself. I didn't expect I like this at all. It was Jeff Loeb and McGinnis. I knew it would be big, bombastic, and kind of, and probably have a sense of fun. I mean, that's kind of, that is what a Nova book should be. That being said, like, the whole story takes place in the past, basically. Like, everything that's already happened in, um, Avengers versus X-Men, like, that's kind of, uh, happens way later after, like, Sam Alexander's origin. But I like the idea that he's the son of a former Nova Corpsman. Corpsman? Yeah, I guess Corpsman. He's the son of a former Nova. That is actually something I didn't see coming. Now, I don't think humans were Novas back then, but, I mean, because Richard Ryder, I think, was the first human Nova. I can't remember, so don't quote me. But, you know, whatever. I mean, it it gives the the character a bit of a different edge where, you know, he his dad is kind of this weird drunk and he thinks that he's just kind of full of it, that he's not really a member of the Kenova Corps. And then something uh, happens and uh, he ends up in the hospital and he's visited by Rocket Raccoon and Gamora, who are in two of the characters in the stories that he's heard from his father. The artwork by uh, Emma Guinness is fantastic. It's spot on. Uh, this feels much more vibrant of a young kind of teen book than Alpha was but uh this is a great read i'm really interested in reading the rest of this arc and seeing what uh, Loeb does and seeing how this book will dovetail in the garden of the galaxy or not um especially with having gamora and uh, rocket raccoon kind of be there for the origin of the sam alexander iteration of nova so i'm really digging this so far and i'm interested to see where it goes from here and anything that has rocket raccoon in it and gamora is you know, high on my list, especially when you have Ed McGinnis drawing them because he loves this kind of stuff. This big bombastic, big Ripley, you know, big like supple, beautiful women. Like he loves this stuff. You could tell in his artwork, like he's really, he's really uh, belting it out there. Uh, I gave it an eight and a half out of ten. Extremely well done. Uh, next up is Red Hood and the Outlaws, number seventeen. This was uh, fairly good. Uh, I gave it a seven and a half out of ten. Uh, the artwork was by let me just pull up the issue uh, first of all I, like, I love that cover it's an interesting cover um, it's written by Labdell with artwork by Ardian Saif who I really like the art on I love his artwork um, this is something about it I, now granted there are some things about this that didn't quite work and, and, and weren't so good um, but most of the issue is extremely good with you know because we don't usually get to see Jason Todd interacting with any of these characters, so having him interact with Bruce and Dick and and Tim, like, or I think Tim was here, uh, but him interacting with all these characters and like Alfred, etc., that's something we don't usually get to see. So seeing that was actually something special because, like, we've never really got to see him coming home. So I liked spending the time with that. Then it goes a little crazy uh, as Red Hood puts back on his mask and the Joker hologram kind of messes with them, and I just felt like at that point it took what could have been a really cool issue and did something that didn't need to be and we don't really know what's what happens afterwards but i feel like i feel like someone would have figured out something um which is unfortunate and i don't really know like are we supposed to really take this with uh like is is jason todd dead again is he scarred it's hard to tell um i don't know i just feel like there's some really interesting uh, characterization here and then we go out with this kind of like oh no what happened to Red Hood now and I'm like really that wasn't necessary but the rest of the issue is still a pretty strong read I gave it a 7.5 out of 10 I think it leveraged nicely off the death of the family um, in a way that Batgirl didn't really last week like Batgirl didn't really use it as a good temple um, 
good launching pad to tell a story of this woman really kind of confronting what happened to her. He, they kind of did, but it wasn't that strong. Whereas here we have uh, two issues. We have um, uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws, and we have Nightwing, both with guys basically with post-traumatic stress, really dealing with what happened and also dealing with a sense of family. Uh, and what it means to them, especially after what's happened in death of the family. So um, that score was pretty good. Uh, so give it a seven and a half out of ten. Next up is Savage Wolverine number two, a book that doesn't really need to exist for any reason, but it's it's kind of fun anyway. But that's because of Frank Cho. Uh, Frank Cho does the artwork and he's writing it. It's not the greatest story, but I don't think anyone expects that from here. Like I don't think anyone is picking up Savage Wolverine and expecting to have the greatest story they've ever had in their entire lives. Um, it's basically to watch Wolverine and uh, an extremely busty uh, Shaun of the She-Devil and them fighting their way through the Savage Land. You know, it, there's not much of a strong story, uh, but it's still an enjoyable read. Uh, the way that uh, Shanna and um, Wolverine interact is kind of odd and strange, but it's kind of a it's a, it's a weird buddy book, but it's a fun one. Um, but this is not a book that is built to last. This is a book to go six issues maximum. I don't know what they're going to do with this book afterwards, but for the moment, it's fun. It's enjoyable. You have, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, again, I don't think anyone's picking this up and expecting to have, you know, the best artwork ever in terms of, like, not being kind of, you know, big-breasted, beautiful women. Like, that's what Frank Cho does. So that's what Shannon's going to be. Uh, he does beautiful, big, beautiful people, and that's what this is. Um, I don't think anyone's coming into this expecting anything but that. I gave it an eight out of ten though because it was it was a fun, kind of dumb read in some ways, but it was it was it was big and dumb, but a lot of fun. Uh, next up is Superior Spider-Man number four. I gave this a nine out of ten. Extremely extremely good book. This is where we have the change in artist now. Uh, so we have Dan Slott still writing it with Giuseppe Camoncoli on artwork. Um, I've always liked Camoncoli. His uh, the way he illustrates these characters so i'm really digging his t- his take on it um here we have uh now there's something that happens in this that i hated but you also have more of kind of doc ock acting more and more like himself and not like peter so he's kind of making other people not like peter in the same way which i i kind of don't like that i get why slot's doing it because he needs he needs basically at the end of the day for peter parker to come just back to his life and his life has to have changed so in order for it to have dramatic resonance, I guess, instead of just being come back to his life and everything's the same. So that's why you're having a, a Peter Parker who's kind of acting a bit like a dick. Um, and like, and he's acting strange and him realizing he's not even a doctor. Uh, and now he wanted, the, wanted to make sure that Peter Parker becomes a doctor uh, so that he won't just be like a regular guy. It's, it's, it's interesting perspectives on the character. Um, but I, sometimes I wonder if they're going too fast on it. Uh, now the big story here is that we have Massacre, a character from the basically the Nobody Dies story, where after Spider-Man was dealing with the death of Marla Jameson, he kind of went crazy and said no one dies from now on. But he didn't kill this guy, and now this guy has escaped, and um, it's you know what, what's going to happen to this to this character. And he kills Doctor Ashley Kafka, and I really hate it when they kill off characters who've been around for so long. Like that's a long-standing. 
member of uh, Spider-Man's supporting class, and I feel like she was just kind of killed off with not much, with nary a glance, and that kind of bothers me, because I really, I love that character, especially when J.M. De, J. DeMatteis wrote the character. Uh, it was fantastic stuff with it, with her, and then to just kind of kill her off, but at least it's, I guess, the incentive to see Superior Spider-Man's kind of deciding, I have to end this guy, instead of, and even Peter's like, what was I thinking? I had to, I have to do something with this guy, but I still wouldn't kill him. Um, and then the big thing at the end here is that um, you have these Vulturians are around and uh, you have uh, Green Goblins around as well. And Green Goblins back to uh, crush Spider-Man, basically. And I'm excited to see where they go from here. Uh, I love also that there's a shot of Green Goblin's face and behind him in the background you see a bridge. And I'm like, you know what? That's a clever and yet somewhat subtle, like not overly subtle, but it's a nice way of kind of highlighting the character and his history without saying anything, without saying a flashback to Gwen or anything, and just having this this nice little uh, in the background, just seeing a shot of um, of the uh, of the Brooklyn Bridge. Um, so next up, after the nine out of ten for that, I, I don't usually uh, review trades that came out, but this time I did. It was the Tales from Beyond Science trade paperback. Um, I actually really dug this book. I was actually reviewing it for uh, uh, CGMagazine.ca, which is comics and gaming magazine. Uh, so I was reviewing it for them, and it's a collection of stories from 1992 uh, that were originally presented uh, in uh, 2000 AD comics, uh, and they're principally written. I'm just pulling up uh, that information right now. Uh, they are written by well, one of the, some of the stories are written by Mark Millar, also by Alan McKenzie and John Smith. Our work by Rian Hughes. This is a great collection, very fun. Uh, as I said, I gave it an 8.5 out of 10. It's basically the Twilight Zone, but in a comic book form. It's quirky, it's weird. It has to be seen to be believed. It's got a, a nice, fun comic sensibility to it. Um, it's unabashedly fun. And it, from the narration, from the fact that you have one main character who's kind of introducing each story, and then he has like a little zinger at the end... This is the Twilight Zone in comic book form by Mark Millar and some other people, uh, who I apologize that I don't they don't mean a lot to me. Like their names aren't significant to me in terms of anything I've ever read from them. But and it doesn't even feel like Mark Millar. It's just but this is a fun collection which has been uh, I guess republished uh, by Image Comics. There's a lot of fun covers that are thrown in there, and they even have uh, some fun kind of fake advertisements that look from, like they're from the '60s. Wonderful, wonderful collection. It's definitely worth reading. It's a lot of fun. I gave it an eight and a half out of ten. Um, next up is X. Now, I was originally going to talk about Thor: God of Thunder number five and Wonder Woman seventeen. Unfortunately, I didn't actually get a chance to review them in time for this podcast. But they did come out. They did happen, and uh, I can't really say anything more about them. Uh, I'm interested to read both of them more so Thor: God of Thunder because it's a little bit more of a pleasure to read visually. Um, and I think that storyline, although I'm not a huge fan, it's a little bit more enjoyable than Wonder Woman, but I haven't read them, so I can't really talk about them. So uh, next up is X-Factor number 252. So we continue the Hell on Earth War, ooh, that's what it's called, uh, storyline. I gave it a 7.5 out of 10. Not the strongest issue of X-Factor. There's a lot of things going on. Yeah, it is called the Hell on Earth War. It's part three. Um, obviously, this is not a storyline that you would ever want to throw a new reader onto. Uh, this issue, you have Pluto fighting the team. Uh, pr- primarily Monet. Uh, it, you know, it's a lot of fun. I like that this story is being uh, told by the perspective of, um, sorry, from the perspective of uh, of Tyr, who's Wolfsbane's son. 
again, this is kind of long-running plot lines are finally kind of coming, uh, coming to fruition. So I like that part. Uh, I like that Tyr is very, very dangerous himself, and he kind of takes out Pluto. This is this was a, a very interesting read. I give it a seven and a half out of ten because it wasn't the strongest chapter, um, but overall, I mean, it's still this book at its worst is still so much better than a lot of other books at its best, uh, or at least at their kind of high mediums. Uh, X Factor is an enjoyable book, and I'm interested to see where it's going to go from here. But my only kind of the only kind of detriment about this book is that it almost feels too big for itself. Um, I kind of like when X Factor does the the more uh, down to earth stories, and this is definitely a a way out there big story. Um, that's the only problem is that it doesn't always feel like X Factor is well suited for those kinds of stories. But that being said, this type of, this story has been led up to for a long time. We've had the seeds we're we're building for a long time, so it's not like it comes out of nowhere. It just tells a story that maybe isn't the most usually the well suited uh, to um, to X Factor, but it's still a good read. And I also I hope that David Peter David continues to come along in his recovery since the stroke in December. Um, and that I'm glad he's still being able to put his scripts in on time. And I mean, that's a that's a dedicated employee. He's a de- dedicated artist. I mean, he really cares for these characters, and I feel like he's been playing playing in the sandbox so long. Like I think he's been writing X Factor. I think how long did the first series go before it switched over? Like I feel like he's been writing it at least a hundred issues, if not more. He just he gets these characters. He's enjoying writing them, and I'm enjoying reading it for the most part. Uh, the artwork here is by Leonard Kirk, who I think is a great artist. Uh, this issue did feel a little rushed, but it was still good art. So I gave it a seven, uh, seven and a half out of ten. Still a good read. The issues I didn't get a chance to read in this for this episode include the following. So it's actually not that that bad because I did go through a lot of books fairly quickly. Um, the books I didn't talk about were Catwoman seventeen, Dark Avengers one eighty seven, DC Universe Presents seventeen, Deadpool number five. Fables 126, Happy number 4, because I haven't read it, Issues 2 and 3 yet. And I heard from other sources that it wasn't that great anyway, so I might just stay away from it to begin with on the on the whole. Didn't get a chance to read Saga number 10 yet, but I can't wait to read it. Um, my uh, regular co-host for the like the e, the even-numbered episodes, uh, Nate, Nathan Strzok, he said that it's actually... he, he I gave him the, his wife uh, the trade first trade for... Uh, for I believe Christmas, and they really dig that book, so I can't wait till the second trade comes out so he can read it and uh, get caught up on that with me. And what I really like with Image these days is that they're very fast in these trades for Saga and for Manhattan Projects, like they're right on there, so you can pick up a trade and then next month pick up the next issue. That's the way the trade should be run, Um, but that's a whole other discussion for another day. I also didn't get a chance to read Supergirl 17, Sword of Sorcery number 5, Ultimate Comics Ultimate 21, because I haven't really been following it, and Wolverine Max number 4, and as uh, the aforementioned Thor God of Thunder number 5, and Wonder Woman 17. So we still had a chance to go through a lot of books, so thanks for joining me for uh, episode number 55 of uh, Comic Shenanigans. You should look forward to episode 56, which will be coming probably in about a day and a half. Uh, probably be going up Tuesday at midnight, so basically Wednesday. Uh, that'll be the next Talking Hero Clicks episode. Uh, it's an episode where I'm joined by not just uh, Nathan Strzok, but also by Tom Kerr, who uh, previously was on episode 54, which is, as I mentioned before, the top five favorite uh, Hulk storylines episode. Uh, our, our recent guest on the Hero Clicks episodes, uh, Leonor Lana, was unfortunately unable to make it to this particular episode. Uh, in the future, uh, I believe episode 58 of Comic Shenanigans will be focusing on kind of looking forward to 
uh, comic book and kind of science fiction oriented movies that are coming out uh, in this in this year, 2013, and also doing a, a brief look back at 2012 because we didn't really get a, a full chance to do that in the uh, 2012 potpourri episode. Uh, so you should look forward to that, and uh, we'll have some other good stuff coming up in the future. Not quite sure what else we'll be looking at. Um, actually, you know what? I just realized I totally misspoke. Episode 58 will not be that episode. I believe that'll probably be episode 60. We have some scheduling issues we got to work out in terms of upcoming episodes, but we do have stuff coming up uh, in the pipeline. So uh, look forward to those, and uh, thanks for listening. You can re- email us at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, or you can like us on Facebook. So once again, I'm Adam Chapman signing off for Comic Shenanigans, and we will see you next time.